Hey, you're listening to Make and Multiply, a podcast devoted to equipping the members of Emmaus Road Church to make and multiply disciples of Jesus Christ in and around the city of Sioux Falls. The people of Emmaus Road are committed to regular rhythms of gathering and scattering. We gather corporately in worship on Sunday mornings. We gather in missional communities and discipleship huddles throughout the week. And then we scatter throughout our city where we want to give every resident of Sioux Falls repeated opportunities to hear and respond to the gospel of Jesus Christ. Welcome to episode 17 of Make and Multiply. My name is Ryan Chase. I'm one of the elders at Emmaus Road Church in Sioux Falls. And in this podcast, we have been working through some of the details and practicalities of how we make and multiply disciples in the context of what we call discipleship huddles, which are groups of ideally three men or three women who meet together weekly to do Three things. We talk about hearing and obeying God's word, that is understanding what God's word means, what God says to us through scripture, and then applying it to our lives so that we're not just hearers of the word, but doers of the word, trusting and believing all that God says to us, uh, repent and believe. That is, we are identifying areas of unbelief and idolatry in our hearts and how that is affecting us practically in day-to-day life. And then we are calling one another to turn from that to the truth of who Jesus is for us and what he has done for us in the gospel. And then we plan and pray together. That is, we think strategically and intentionally about living on mission and making Jesus known in this world. And so in the last several episodes, I've talked about a key part of repent and believe, which has to do with listening for the heart and asking good questions to draw out what's going on, uh, not just circumstantially in the external details of our lives, um, but in the heart, what, what's going on in our thinking, in our believing, our affections, our desires, because scripture is clear that how we live comes out of the heart And that's where we need to apply the gospel. So it's one thing to look for entry gates, that is opportunities to engage with one another in redemptive relationships. We're looking for more than just what's going on in someone's life, but how are they experiencing that, processing it? What are they thinking and feeling about it? What are they believing about God and about themselves and their circumstances? We're always listening for the heart. We ask good questions to draw out the heart. But at some point, we want to proclaim the truth of Jesus Christ. We want to speak the truth in love to one another. That's what Paul says in Ephesians 4. That's how the body builds itself up as each member of the body speaks the truth in love to each other member. And the truth that we proclaim is the gospel of Jesus Christ. So most simply, that that could be summed up in the words of 1 Corinthians 15, 3. Paul says, I deliver to you as of first importance what I also received, that Christ died for our sins in accordance with the scriptures, that he was buried on the third day, he was raised, and then he appeared to many. So the good news is that Jesus Christ died for our sins, he was buried and he was raised, he now rules and reigns from the right hand of the Father. But bringing that truth to bear on everyday life, that's really where the rubber meets the road, because confessionally, we all profess we believe this gospel, but functionally we find that in our day-to-day lives we often forget the truth of the gospel or we are unaware of how it practically applies to everyday life and relationships and responsibilities. And so our negative emotions and our sinful behavior in daily life come out of our failure to understand the practical implications of the gospel. So in this episode I want to talk about Uh, the four G's or four liberating truths. This comes from Chester and Timmis in their book, Everyday Church, Uh, Tim Chester and Steve Timmis. Great book and um, 
I love this resource where they talk about these these four liberating truths that we should know and be familiar with and um, regularly be reminding one another and speaking into each other's lives with joy and with conviction so that we can call each other back to the, the hope of all that God is for us in Jesus. One of the great insights that Chester and Timus provide in, in this chapter is when they point out one way to frame the difference between law and gospel is that law says you should. Uh, you should read your Bible more. You should not look at pornography. You should not get drunk. There's, there's truth in that. But the problem is that simply telling one another you should isn't good news that transforms and changes us. Uh, consider somebody who is addicted to pornography. If you just respond to that by saying, well, hey, you, you know, you, you just shouldn't look at pornography. Uh, that doesn't change anything. That porn addict already knows that he shouldn't. He's probably shared with you because he feels guilt about it. So he knows it's wrong. He knows he shouldn't. And just telling him he shouldn't isn't telling him anything new or transformational. He needs the gospel. He needs some truth rooted in the person and work of Jesus Christ. And so Chester and Timothy say that the gospel is more than just you should or you should not. The gospel says to us, you need not because Jesus. And so when we use that language, that, that's a helpful way for us to declare gospel truth to one another in practical, applicational ways. You need not look at pornography because Jesus, and then fill in the blank. What, what has Jesus done to make it possible for you to no longer need that? Well, for one, you need not because you're no longer a slave to sin. Romans 6, you've been united to Jesus, joined with him in his death and his resurrection. So you are not a slave to sin anymore. You have been raised with Christ. And so now you honor God with your body and you actually have the power to be free from sin. Whereas in sin, you were a slave and all you could do was sin. Now in Christ, you need not sin because of the power of Jesus. And you need to know that and know how to take advantage of that in your battle against temptation and the flesh. Uh, you need not look at pornography because Jesus is supremely satisfying and he promises to satisfy your soul with rivers of living water and with living bread. And man does not live by bread alone, but by every word that comes from the mouth of God. So there are all these truths that we can proclaim to one another. Uh, the key is it's only gospel if it is rooted and grounded in Jesus. So you need not fill in the blank because Jesus and then elaborate on all that Jesus has done for us that makes it possible for us to live in this new way. Chester and Timis point out that the root of all of our negative emotions and all of our sinful behavior is always wrong belief about God. Um, so there are two sides to that coin. One is our, the root of our problem is that we believe lies about God. The other side of that coin is we are desiring or trusting or worshiping some false god, some idol. And, and that's often difficult for us to grasp because in the midst of sinning, we're not necessarily conscious of some uh, truth about God that we are or are not thinking or some lie about God that we're believing. When, when we're in the middle of wallowing in despair or anxiety or guilt, we're, we're not necessarily conscious of any specific thoughts about God. And so it, it can be tough for us to grasp this idea that the root of our sinful behavior and negative emotions is always wrong thinking about God. We, we often think, well, what does God have to do with this at all? Uh, there's a difference though between our 
confessional belief and our functional belief. Our confessional belief is uh, on, on paper, the doctrines, the theological truths that we would affirm. And, and oftentimes we can get all of those doctrinal ducks in a row, but functionally it's in daily life where uh, there are gaps between what we say we believe and what we are practically functionally in that moment actually believing about God or desiring idolatrously. And our problem living comes out of that. And so the way to address that is to speak the truth of God into the everyday realities of life. And at our church, discipleship huddles are one of those regular, weekly, consistent ways that we set aside time to do that with one another. It's one thing to speak the truth to ourselves, but then to be in community with others who are speaking the truth of God into our lives. That's a powerful uh, means of grace by which we receive the, the transformational power of the gospel. So we do that by identifying what's the lie that somebody's believing about God, and then what's the corresponding gospel truth that we can proclaim into this situation. So here's the tool Chester and Timis offer to us. They, they talk about four liberating truths, or what they call the four G's. Here they are. God is great, God is glorious, God is good, and God is gracious. Those are four truths about God that are powerful and transformational and freeing. Uh, it's good news that God is great, God is glorious, God is good, God is gracious. And I would encourage you, memorize those four things. Memorize the four Gs so that you can recall them to mind and use this as a tool, one, to identify where might the lies about God be um, manifesting. You could apply this to your own life and you can apply this in relationship with others. What's the lie that you're believing about God? Which of these four Gs are you forgetting? And, And which of these do you need to declare with joy and conviction into your own life or into the lives of others? God is great, glorious, good, and gracious. God's greatness has to do with his sovereign control over everything. So just consider what happens when you don't believe that God is great, that he's sovereign and in control. Uh, One result of forgetting that truth may be that you attempt to take control of your own life by your own power, or that you dominate or manipulate other people. Uh, Another result is that you just wallow in anxiety and fear and worry because all of life seems out of your control. But the good news, the gospel, you need not. You need not control other people or manipulate your circumstances and relationships, or you need not give way to anxiety and worry because God is in control. And specifically, we see that most clearly in the death and resurrection of Jesus, that even in the darkest moment in history, the murder of the Son of God, God was in sovereign control over that, working out his plan and his purpose. And so God's greatness, his sovereignty, his control is good news for us. Uh, God is glorious, and that ha- this has to do with um, his holiness and his splendor, his majesty, and the fear and reverence that is due to him. Because when we forget that God is glorious, that God is the only one that we need to fear, that his approval is the only approval that matters, um, then we fall into the fear of man. We fall into craving approval from other people. We fall into pride and arrogance and exalting ourselves and thinking that we are more glorious than God is, but the gospel is that you need not fear others because 
in Jesus, you have God's approval. You're right with God. You've been reconciled to the glorious one. And his approval is the only approval you need. And you have it through Jesus Christ. Uh, God is good, which has to do with uh, the soul satisfaction, the, the joy and the pleasure that God himself provides to his people. And so you need not look anywhere else for soul satisfaction because God is the best thing and he offers himself to you in the person of Jesus. When you forget this, when you deny it, when you believe lies that God is not good, that he's, he's not satisfying, then you will indulge the flesh in the pleasures of sin. And so the gospel says you need not indulge in sexual immorality or drunkenness or whatever else offers some false promise of satisfaction because Jesus has made a way for you to enjoy the goodness of God forever. The fourth G, God is gracious. That is, you do not need to strive to prove yourself to God. He forgives all of your sins He removes all of your iniquities through the person and the work, the life and the death and the resurrection of Jesus. By Jesus' shed blood, God no longer counts your sins against you if you are trusting in Jesus and united to him by faith. When you forget that or when you deny it, when you functionally forget about this truth of God's grace, uh, you will rely on your own efforts to earn approval from God which will make you uh, a very arrogant, proud person if you think you're succeeding in that, and it will make you a very uh, hopeless, despairing person if you think you're failing in that. So those are the four Gs, that God is great, glorious, good, and gracious. And this is a helpful diagnostic tool. Just want to make a couple comments in in closing about the four Gs. Um, Any attitude of unbelief can really come out of functional unbelief in any one of these four truths. It's not like uh, certain sins are connected with forgetting certain truths about God. So it's not enough to know, uh, okay, this person is responding to life with sinful anger. That means they're forgetting this G. Um, Actually, we need to dig a little deeper, which is why we've talked already about asking good questions and listening for the heart. If somebody's acting in sinful anger, uh, it could be that they're forgetting any one of these truths about God or any combination of them. For example, if you functionally deny God's greatness, his his control, his sovereignty, then you may react in sinful anger when you perceive that your life is out of control. Anger is a reaction people manifest when they think that life is out of control. Uh, If you functionally deny that God is glorious, you might react in anger when you are not getting approval from some person that you crave and uh, things aren't going your way, you're not getting approval from that person, and that might make you deeply angry because you're forgetting God's glory and the approval from God that you have in Christ. If you functionally deny God's goodness, uh, then you are going to look to something else to satisfy your soul. And if you perceive that that thing or that person is threatened or, or removed in any way, you may react in sinful anger. So, If you have set your hope for satisfaction and security in money or leisure or a relationship and that thing is taken away or threatened at all, you may react in anger toward whatever it is that has taken that thing from you. And lastly, if you you are functionally denying God's grace, you may react in anger when you think that God is not giving you what you deserve. You think, "I, I pray, I read my Bible, I go to church, I do all the right things to get God's approval and to uh, secure a 
the, the life that I want, and I'm not getting that, and, and so that might come out as anger toward God. Why is God not giving me what I deserve? Because you're forgetting that it is all by grace that we don't uh, relate to God in some transactional way where we do work for him that meets a need in him, and then he pays us back some, some wage that we've earned. It's all grace. So you see that anger as the, the sin that's manifesting in someone's life doesn't necessarily tell us what lie they're believing or what truth about God they're, they're forgetting or denying. And so we often have to ask more questions to dig a little bit deeper. Um, I want to just close with I, what I think is great advice from Chester and Timis. They, they say, um, when you speak these truths about God to one another in love, don't simply say to someone, hey, you know, I, I know your problem. You're, you're not believing God is gracious. That's not really helpful and it's not really hopeful. So I'm going to quote them here. They say, instead, we are called to portray God to one another in all his glory and beauty and majesty. It means singing songs and telling stories that speak of his glory and then making the connections to everyday life. It means presenting the truth in a way that captures the imagination. Do not be satisfied with repeating the bald statement that God is great, glorious, good, and gracious. Instead, draw upon all your knowledge of the Bible story all the texts that you have memorized, all the hymns and songs you know to express these truths with color and texture. That, that's an incredible encouragement to us. It, it says that as we immerse ourselves in God's word, the redemptive story of God, where God makes known his goodness and his grace and his glory and his greatness, uh, we have vast resources available to proclaim these truths to one another in ways that capture our hearts and stir our imagination and encourage our faith and our delight in God. So this is more than just kind of slapping a a quick band-aid on a problem. We are pointing one another to God and, and saying, come and see with me, come and behold with me who God is and keep looking until the eyes of your heart perceive who God is and you begin to experience Uh, the transforming power of beholding God and your heart is set free from that, that bondage to sin. Thanks for listening to Make and Multiply. If you have questions about anything related to discipleship huddles, missional communities, or gospel fluency, please email me at ryan at emmausroadsf.com. And if you're not currently part of a huddle or MC, let me know and I would love to help you get connected. If you're interested in more, you can find this content in our Discipleship Huddle Guide, which is based on the DNA Guide by Saturate Resources. The music on this episode is called Everywhere by Lee Rosevere, and it's used under a Creative Commons license.